If you'll remember when we started this sermon series, Growing Up Into Christ, um, I spoke one message on just the first verse of Ephesians 4. And you're thinking, wow, one verse at a time will be here for decades. But we, we picked up the pace a bit. But now you'll understand why the importance of that one verse uh, was so critical and why we looked at it specifically. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, which is something Paul has called himself before in the letter. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. And that word worthy is the Greek word axios, which is where we get uh, our term axiom from. It is a balancing scale. It is uh, meant to have equal value on each side. It's meant to have equal worth of equal weight. And so Paul is saying, I want to urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the call to which you've been called. And those two things need to be in balance with each other. The first three chapters we've been looking at in this book are specifically looking at the call to which we've been called. It is all the different things that God has done. He has done for us and in us. He's called us. He's chosen us. He's bestowed upon us. He's called us out. He has done these things. He has brought us out of darkness and into light. And that is the call. But now we're moving into the last part of the book, the second half of the book, which is specifically talking about how we're to walk it out. And those two things are hinged together with this one verse. They're hinged together. And hence, it is the, the crux of the whole book. Now, to grow up into Christ... It is crucial for us to have our walk in balance with his call. And that is an ongoing pursuit that we follow him in. But let's understand that this call is not isolated to us as individuals. It's a collective, universal, corporate call. Paul is speaking to this church about their calling as a church. And as uh, it was mentioned earlier, I think uh, Will or someone talked about the fact that we are uh, connected to the larger body of Christ, but we are a spiritual family. We are a part that where we plug in and he is speaking to this group of believers and helping them see that their call is bigger than them alone. Bigger than one person alone, even bigger than one grouping of people alone. Now, I realize that Westerners don't always get this. We are very individualistic. It's just me and Jesus would be the mantra for many of us. But the call of Christ is always a call of connection to his people. It is a call first to him and then it is a call to be with those who are in him. They go hand in hand. As Glenn Scribner puts it, the epitome of your oneness with Christ is not you on your own, having personal devotions in your room, enjoying spiritual novocaine. It's you 
together with all the saints, grasping how high, how high, wide, deep, and long the love of Christ is. We don't get the full benefit of all that that is if we do that on our own. You're not an island. I know the church is messy and frustrating, and it's tempting to withdraw. But you can't divorce yourself from God's people and still be true to God's word. I know a lot of people try to do that because it's frustrating to be around God's kids. But we're not allowed that privilege if we're going to get the full benefit of what God called us to do. And our walk with him is not going to be in a manner worthy to the call of which he's called us. It's going to be out of balance. So Paul begins this second half of the book by painting a very vivid picture of this body of Christ, the church. He's giving us a description that is so profound. And the first thing that he says about the body of Christ is that it must maintain unity. Look back at verse 1 again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The oneness of our faith is spelled out in so many ways. I don't know if you picked up on this, but he's talking about the oneness of the Spirit, the oneness of the Son, our Lord, and the oneness of the Father. The Trinity is, is woven into what Paul is describing here. He is, he is claiming that the body of Christ is to maintain the unity of the Spirit, where we walk together with shared commitment and concern for each other. We must be committed to Christ and grow up into him, but we must also care for each other. That that's the unity that we're called to maintain. But all too often, the church is known for its, its judgy positional pride. It's aggression towards those who disagree. And it's unwillingness to bear with others in love. The very opposite of what Paul calls us to do, quite often, is the reputation that the church has. That's horrible. That's an indictment. Paul says the only way we can maintain unity is to walk in humility and gentleness and patience. Uh-oh. I mean, kindness maybe. Gentleness occasionally, but patience? Did he just say that? Oh, he did. That we're to walk in these areas of humility, of not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, of being gentle with people, especially those that are, that are disagreeing with us, to be patient with people. Believing that God has been patient with us and that we're to be patient with them. And then, just to throw in one more, to bear with others 
in love. Now, do you know what forbearance, how challenging it can be when someone that you're called to love is just so challenging? (laughs) It's easy to love the ones you have an easy time loving, but when you have to love someone that is challenging and, and is not quite where you want them to be, that's hard, and yet our forbearance has to be there. When Paul talks about unity, he is saying this is essential that we maintain this. But he doesn't mean that it's uniformity. Where we look and act just alike. We're not androids programmed to all think and act alike. We are unique. We are diverse in our gifting. And we are designed to work in harmony, complementing one another so as to be more perfected because we are with one another. Not exact replicas, but unique in our own giftings, working in harmony. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and women, to mankind. He gave gifts to men and women. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? We know that he came, he came flesh. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul just can't help himself but be a little flowery in his language. He just has to talk about the majesty of God a little bit. That's why I think we have the parentheses there. He's just kind of going off topic a little bit. And then he says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity. Now there's that unity again. And interesting that in the first time he says maintain the unity, and now he says to attain the unity. There's an aspect in which our salvation is once done, is being done, and will forever be done. And it's the same way with unity. Our unity has been, has been established because he tore down the walls of hostility. He unified us, but it is our job to continue to attain to that unity. And there will one day be that we're all together unified in him. That's a good place to say amen. Thank you. Got to cue it up, but that's okay. I'll take it. So he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood this being Christ as the head of all of us, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Oh my, I could spend weeks talking about this and I don't have time, obviously. I want to talk about these five gifts, though, that he's talking about. Five giftings of diversity, but they are all given into the body of Christ. And they're not just describing the New Testament leadership model. These are gifts that have continued to be given to the body of Christ. Now, I know there are Christians that don't believe that. I know that there are Christians that believe the gifts ceased with the first century church. 
I just don't. He still gives gifts, and we still have gifts operating among us today. He talks about apostles. They are the type that, and this, by the way, this is not an office so much as it is a function. All right, don't get, don't get hung up in titles here. I'm not asking you to start calling me, oh, God forbid, Apostle Chris. I can barely handle Pastor Chris, and that's just so your kids learn how to be respectful. I, I just don't like titles, but I love function. I love it when it works. I don't care what you call me. Just let it work. Oh, I started preaching there. Apostles, they're to extend the gospel. They're, they are protectors of the spiritual DNA. They're the sent ones. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another, from one generation to another. They think about the future. They develop leaders. They, they network beyond the local church. We have people functioning as apostles in our church. Jamie is one of them. He's in Boston right now functioning apostolically. Anna's one of them. She has an apostolic idea, the way she sees things, the way she functions. There are others. Secondly, the prophets. They declare God's truth. Today, we just witnessed a prophetic word uttered over Daniela. We hear that as the word of the Lord, as God's spirit speaking to us in this day and age as a pronouncement, not in contradiction to the word, but in affirmation of God's word. These particular ones are, per, are attuned to God and his will for today. They, they question the status quo. Boy, is that not true. Bring correction and they challenge assumptions when we, in, when we inherit it from the culture. My dad, Roger, is a prophetic leader. My daughter, Catherine, is a prophetic leader. Uh, Justin is prophetic. Um, Bill Conley can be prophetic. There are many people that operate in a prophetic gifting. Then thirdly, the evangelists. They recruit these infectious gospel communicators are outward focused and spiritually gifted to bring others into the kingdom. We have evangelistic people in our midst. Wade is one of those kind. Jim Rector is one of those. Lucille is one of those kind. We have the evangelistic gifting functioning in our church. I pray that we have some more of it soon. Shepherds, they nurture and protect they're caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection of the flock, on spiritual maturity of God's flock, on making and developing disciples. We have a lot of people like this in our church. Will's one of them. James is one of them. Jay and Frankie are a couple of them. Jen Gomez is one of them. I, I could just go on and on and on. We have a lot of caring and shepherding going on in our midst. And then finally, teachers. They understand and explain they communicate God's truth and wisdom, helping us remain biblically grounded, which is so critical, to better discern God's will. We have a lot of teachers, too. My wife is a teacher. Brother Curtis is a teacher. Danny is a teacher. There are many teachers among us. And that doesn't even include our just professional teachers that are also amazing teachers, like Tim Yoder and, and Rebecca and Priscilla. Oh, just, wait, the, the list goes on. I want you to notice that as significant as these five functions and giftings are, they're not the ones called to do all the work. The Bible says that they are called to equip all of us to do the work 
of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. That means each person born again into Christ is a minister of Christ. Now I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. And then let them look at you. That person sitting next to you, if they are in Christ, they are a minister of Christ. It's that simple. If you're in Christ, you have work to be done. This is the New Testament church model that Paul paints. But notice it's very different from our American church model. The American church model has celebrity pastors and worship artists. We have programs for every demographic, sermons on how to live a better life, and productions so dazzling that it would rival an evening show in Vegas. But I'm not sure the Apostle Paul would be very impressed or deem those things as essential. Today's church has learned how to draw a crowd, but I think we may have modeled ourselves more after Walt Disney or P.T. Barnum than Paul, the church planter, or Jesus himself. In so many ways, and careful, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying a lot of what we think of as church in the American mindset is not church in the New Testament model. Our model has let churches be filled with spectators, but not equipped them for the work of the ministry. We've ordained experts to do all the heavy lifting while congregates get to sit and watch. But this doesn't produce healthy churches. This doesn't produce churches that are developing people as their gifts are developed so that they can be building up the body of Christ as Paul talks about here in Ephesians 4. Paul describes a church that is much more than all that we have in our Western mindset I could go on and on and on, and I'm going to try not to. But what grieves me the most is when I go to Africa and see that they are mimicking the Western church model. God forbid. Some of those churches could teach American churches how to do church. Paul describes a church that is so much more than what we have drilled it down to. It is a group, it is a body, it is the body of Christ that he is the head of with every member ministering to each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is happening in the regular, ongoing, life-on-life relationships that we're to be living throughout the week. It's so much more than Sunday morning. It's so much more than a building with a steeple. It is so much more than all the trappings of the American church model. The church is the body of Christ and he is the head of it. We are called to be more than what we've settled for. Here's how Paul describes it. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a picture! Notice how it all happens in Christ, not apart from him. 
But it also happens when each part of his body, everyone in Christ, everyone sitting here today, and all those that came before, and all those that will come after, everyone is exercising the gifts that Jesus has distributed among us. There are gifts to be shared that are necessary for us to be built up. You are a part of his body if you're in Christ Jesus. And you have gifts that need to be exercised. We need them. I don't care how insignificant you think you are or how small you think your gift is. You are necessary for the body of Christ to be built up into love. Now, let me ask you a practical question here. Where and how do you think all of that plays out in our church? Rhetorical, you don't have to answer out loud. Can we create enough slots on Sunday morning for every person to be involved using their particular gift? We try. I try to give lots of room and I'm about developing leaders. We use video, we use other volunteers, we use different people, we have different worship leaders, we have different sound team, we have different ushers, we have different people. But it's not enough even for our size of church. I think what Paul envisions for us is a kind of regular activity of the body in groups small enough so that every member of the body can minister to others with his or her spiritual gift. It's what God designed us to do. So small groups, without it sounding like in a commercial, is the mechanism by which we feel more of this can happen. Where there's more room for your spiritual gift to be exercised and developed and used and for it to be matured and grown and, and kind of challenged sometimes if you get off base somewhere. That's where it needs to be happening. Now I read a story about a pastor who was asked to come and talk to a small group about the purpose of small groups and how they need to function within the larger body. And so he came early for dinner and the husband was not there and the wife seemed embarrassed and she apologized. She said, my husband, he owns his own construction company and he'll be late. He, he'll, he'll show up at some point during the meeting. And so the meeting started and the pastor began to share on spiritual gifts and how they are given for us to build each other up. Scripture, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, all these different places where it talks about the gifts that have been given to the body. And he's talking about it, and then he asked them to seek the Lord while they're there in this small group. He said, just take a few moments, ask the Lord how he might want to channel his grace to those that are around you right now. How might God want to move among us? And they all sat there really quiet, awkward, uncomfortable. No one said a word. They'd been meeting for a few years as a small group. He thought they would know more of their needs and more how they could be exercised in giftings. And nobody said a word. By that time, the husband had finally arrived. They're all sitting around. And finally, the hostess, the wife, speaks up. And she said, I don't know how God could use me, but... I need prayer. And she lifted up her sleeves and she had a rash all over her arms. 
And she said, I've been going to the doctor to get this rash taken care of. It's miserable. They've given me medication. Nothing has worked. And I just want God to touch me. And so they set her in a chair in the middle of the room and they began to pray. And as they did, the pastor said this. He said, I feel that the Lord is showing me that the root of your suffering is because you're angry. And she sat there quietly for a moment. And then the tears began to flow. And she said, I'm so angry with my husband. He always promises to be home for dinner, but he never is. And I'm tired of his disappointing my kids and me. I'm angry. By the grace of God, he fell to his knees and he wept in her lap and he asked her to forgive him. And then other men begin to share how they struggled with this same thing of always being at work and not giving themselves to their family. And then one man said, it almost ruined my life and I I repented and God restored my marriage. And they had a small group meeting. The next weekend, the pastor was about to go in to preach and he saw the small group assembled out in the parking lot and they called for him to come over. And the woman said, look, the rash is gone. And the husband stepped up and he said, and I took my kids to the zoo yesterday and I've decided not to work past six and our home is a new home. And that's a picture of the body of Christ at work. God's grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of his gift for us. And he gave these gifts to each of us so that we might not sit on them or not develop them or tuck them away for a rainy day, but that we might exercise them. And yes, it's nervousing and scary and you have to learn and be trained and developed, but it's worth it. Because God might use you and your gift to unlock the heart of someone sitting next to you. His body, as we grow up into him, we have a responsibility to grow outward to each other. Let's commit ourselves to maintaining unity of the spirit. Let's recognize and celebrate our diversity Because we're not all the same. We're not all called to do the same part. But we can work in harmony with one another for the the building up of the body of Christ. And let's grow up into Christ, the head, and do the work that he's called us to do. I'm going to read a passage out of the message from Ephesians 4. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. Get out there and walk. Better yet, run. On the road that God has called you to travel. Don't sit down and don't wander off. Be careful that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing the differences, and quick at mending fences. 
You were all called to travel on this same road and in the same direction. So stay together, inwardly and outwardly. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with the oneness of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and His Son, Jesus. So, everything connected with your old way of life has to go. It is rotten through and through, and you need to get rid of it. And then, take on an entirely new life, a new way of living, a God-fashioned life renewed from the inside, working itself into your conduct as God reproduces his character in you. Yes, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in our response to his son, fully mature, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you. We've gone a little longer than we normally do this morning, but that's been great. So there's no worries with that. But I want to pray for you. And then we'll be dismissed uh, in this beautiful sunshine outside for you to enjoy. Lord Jesus, we hear your word today. Forgive us, O God, where we have applied religion when you have asked for us relationship. Where we have settled for organization and things that make it comfortable for us. When what you've wanted for us is to be stirred up with the gifts of God that have been distributed among us so that we might build one another up. We might use the giftings you've put in our lives. We might, in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, love one another. That we might not put upon people our expectations, but we would actually be stirred to love them well. I pray, Lord, as our community is here in this season, in this day, in this geography, here in Lawrenceville, in Gwinnett County, and the greater metro area, I pray that you would help us to be the New Testament model of church, not something we've configured for ourselves, but something that we are living out in our lives that is scripturally based, that is Holy Spirit-filled, and that is purposeful for the kingdom of God. I commit, Lord, our church community as, as one of the senior leaders here, Lord, that we want to be about your business. We want to be your kind of people. We want to be your body where you've planted us. And I pray for every person that's here listening, that's here today, this morning. God, strengthen each of them to stir the gift of God that is within them. Like you told, like you had Paul tell Timothy that they would stir up the gifts that are there, that they would step out in faith and, and, and humbly before you offer what it is that you've put in their life. And I pray, God, that out of that, your people would be built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.